0: Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks Downloadable Messages and Podcast. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the friendly skies. <laughs> like, I'm not sure what that was about. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, if the, uh, if the service goes bad, an oxygen mask will be falling down in front of you. And you strap it over your loved one first and... Then we'll take it there. Hey, welcome. Um, my name's Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at the Church of Rocky Peak. If this is your very first time, special welcome to you. Uh, we're excited you're here with us to worship, to seek God. And inside your program is a message note sheet that we're going to be using for our time of teaching. And uh, there's, you've got a program there for any announcements that you need or are there. You can read them during a boring part of the message or whatever. Uh, but uh, you've got that. So uh, I'm ready to go. You guys all, all set? You ready to go? All right, let's jump in. God, we're just so thankful for uh, what you're doing in our church and the way you you truly are waking us up, calling us on to to a whole new life, a life of passionate pursuit of you being changed from the inside out by your spirit, be led kind of day by day by your spirit, this whole new life you've got us to be used to help change this world that you've put us in and to draw others to come to know you as well. And so we thank you for this day and this opportunity to dive into your word for this great topic that we've got. We pray that you would speak, you'd be our leader, our teacher, our guide. We pray that in your name, amen. Well, if you're brand new, uh, not only want to welcome you, but we're in the midst of a series right now. It's called Behind the Music. It's a study of the Old Testament book of Psalms. And uh, whether you're familiar with Psalms or not, uh, Psalms is a very popular book in the Bible. But one thing we've been learning in this series is that a lot of people don't know this, that the Psalms were originally meant to be sung. We're kind of studying the top hits of Israel, if you were. In fact, the the word Psalm comes from the Greek word psalmos, which means song. And so what we're doing is every week we're going Behind the Music into the lyrics of uh, the words of these these great songs were written by some of uh, Israel's top spiritual leaders over about a thousand year period of time uh, to learn what does it look like to walk with God well? What does it look like to enter into a relationship with God that's truly life-changing, passionate, uh, uh, kind of the life that he wants us to live? And so um, today the topic on the table is worship. And so if you've ever read through the Psalms, you know this: that you don't have to read very far where you see one of the major topics in the book of Psalms is worship and praise to God, thanksgiving, that sort of thing. Many of the songs were written to be used in their worship services as part of their their actual worship services. And so today we're gonna be kind of diving into this whole topic of worship. Uh, But uh, before we do, I just wanna kind of quote one quick sidebar is that obviously worship takes in much more than just uh, what happens here the weekend services. It takes in more than what happens in a life group or some other kind of worship setting where you're singing or praising or praying or whatever. The, the worship really for the Christ floor is a lifestyle. The worship at its core is about giving all that we are and all that we have back to God uh, in a life of service and, and worship. And so, so I get that. But today the focus is primarily on worship services because that's what Psalms is talking about. And so um, what I'm gonna do is th- to get at this, uh, I wanna make four quick statements it's about worship, what we learn from tr- what I'm calling true worship from the Psalms. And then we're going to come back and see how are we doing as a church, as individuals, growing as, uh, as true worshipers. So there in your note sheet, We have a section called True Worship, What It Looks Like. And let me just jump in and make uh, four quick statements. Uh, We're not going to be looking at one particular psalm today, as we've often done in this series. But we're actually going to be jumping around to several psalms as we kind of uh, take this kind of a, a wide angle look at this whole topic of worship. So here we go. The first thing that jumps out at me as you study worship in the psalms is that true worship flows from experience. Uh, in other words, that, that true worship is not a matter of, of like religious ritual. It's not a result of sacred duty. That's not what it's about. That, that true worship in the Bible really flows out of a first hand relationship with God where we're experiencing him uh, in a personal way, in such a powerful way, that it leads spontaneously to a life of worship. Um, In the New Testament, there's a great story where Jesus meets a woman. He talks to her about worship. And it's there on your note sheet. It's in John chapter 4. And he says to this woman, a time is coming and has now come. So, in other words, with the coming of Jesus, we're entering into this new relationship with God as a human race. A time is coming and has now come when true worshipers, so you might want to underline, that's the goal, that we would be true worshipers, that true worshipers will worship the Father in what? What would you say? Okay, I'll say it again. He worship the Father in what? In spirit and in truth. So in other words, he says that what God's looking for is people who really want to enter into a life-changing relationship where where we're knowing, experiencing God in spirit, through the power of God's spirit and in truth as he really is, that we're experiencing God uh, in in such a way that it leads to a life of worship. And then he says, for these are the kind of of worshipers the Father what? Seeks. Say it again, kind of worshipers the Father seeks. See, So God is looking for people who want to enter into this life-changing relationship, experiencing him, him as he is through the power of his spirit in truth in such a way that their lives are changed and it, and it leads to spontaneous worship. So this is what you see in Psalms. the Psalms in, in worship, Psalms is always more than it's going to church or doing sacrifice, but it's always more than that. That worship is really flowing out of a firsthand relationship with God that's truly life-changing and then it's kind of naturally bubbling up, leading to worship. And I wanna give you just one example of this. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 18. Psalm 18 is a, a Psalm of David, and of course we could go to many Psalms, but, but this is one of my favorites. Psalm 18, uh, l- let me set it up. This Psalm was written uh, at a time in David's life where, where he'd gone through maybe 10 or 15 years of running for his life from King Saul. And, and so God had, during that time, protected him, provided for him. And so during those years, uh, David had, had become very close with God. It's often through the hard times that we get close with God, isn't it? And so he experienced that. And so during this time, kind of the God of his fathers, the God of his nation had become his God. And, and so it's out of that firsthand experience of God in his life as his rock, his salvation, his fortress, whatever, that, that he writes this psalm. And so, so if you look at the title, it says, for the director of music. So as I've often said, these are songs. They're, they're written for to be used in the worship service office. So he says, for the director of music, it's a psalm of David. It's a ser- He's the servant of the Lord. And when we see all, uh, Lord in all caps, what's that mean again? Yeah, Yahweh. So he's the servant of Yahweh. And so he sang to Yahweh, the words of this song catch this, when Yahweh delivered him from the hand of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So so you catch on what I'm saying, that this this worship, it's not like David's going away and writing a song. What would be a good song to be used in worship and just kind of like, what would sound good? What would make a top hit? Like how, how can I, like this song is flowing out of his life experience. And so here he goes, he starts off in verse one. He says, I love you, O Lord. I love you, O Yahweh, my strength. And so he starts off with this passionate statement of God, you've captured my heart. I, I, I'm passionate about you. Why? Because he's experienced him in such a powerful way. And then he goes on, he, he explains, he says, Yahweh is my rock, he's my fortress, he's my deliverer. So he experienced this in his life. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield and my, the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. And I want you to catch something here. Look in verse two. I want you to see how many times he uses the word my. Uh, if you count them, there are eight times in one verse, he says that God is his God. Uh, in other words, like last week we were in Psalm 23, we said the Lord is my shepherd. We talked about this, how, how every one of us in our life has to go through a transition where the God of our parents or the God of our church or the God of the Bible becomes our God. And that happens through personal experience. And this is what it happens. So look how many times he uses the word my. He says, Yahweh, in verse two, Yahweh is my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield, uh, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So he may be your God or he may not but he's my God, right? He's like, I've experienced him in a powerful way and and he's changed my life and and he's protected, led, guide, and taught me. And I want to tell you about this God who has changed my life. And so what I want you to catch is that true worship always flows out of firsthand experience. It, It can come out of our firsthand experience of God leading, guiding, teaching, providing, that sort of thing. Or it can come from firsthand experience where God opens our eyes to new spiritual truth about who he is. So in the Bible, praise often comes, worship often comes as God opens our eyes to see who God is, how amazing, how brilliant, how powerful, uh, how he's the king, the judge. Well, we get a, a fresh view of who God is, takes our breath away, and that leads to worship. But either way, true worship flows out of personal experience, right? Okay, now number two. The second thing you see in Psalms is that true worship requires surrender. That, that if you wanna enter into true worship, you, you have to, to kind of surrender your life to God's leadership. In other words, it's impossible, for example, to come here in church and sing songs like, like you are the one, or you're awesome, or you're the Lord, you're the king, whatever we sing. And, and then yet in reality, we're living for ourselves. We're, we're in reality during the week, we're, we're not really living as he's king, he's Lord. We're really living for ourselves. We're doing the things he says don't do. And so what you learn in the Psalms is that's impossible. It's impossible to live a double life and enter into true worship. And it's funny because as a race, this is often what our natural instinct is. As a race, our natural instinct is often to think it's possible to kind of live for ourselves during the week and then somehow buy God off on the weekend by coming and and doing the appropriate worship, beads, incense, uh, money, whatever the thing is, saying the right prayers. And if you study the history of the human race, it's always been this way, it's always been. In fact, the Old Testament, uh, the the story, and back in the book of Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah takes the nation of Israel Israel to task because they're doing all the right stuff. They're going to temple. They're bringing their sacrifices. They're burning their incense. They're saying their prayers. And God says in Isaiah 1, this is on your note sheet if you want to check it out later, just the reference. But Isaiah 1, uh, God says, knock it off. Stop coming to church. You're driving me crazy. Your offerings are meaningless. Your incense is detestable. I'm sick of you trampling my courts. Like, just stop when you pray. I'm not listening, All right? So, so what you see throughout the Bible is that, that worship has to flow out of a heart that surrenders. Now, now it doesn't mean that we always get it right or we never make mistakes. Obviously we do, David did, we know that. But when we do, we have to come back and surrender again. We have to ask God, hey, will you forgive me? I'm under your leadership again. And then we can have true worship. But it's impossible to go before God and to, to worship him. You are the Lord, you're the king while living a lie. Does that make sense? And so you see this over and over in Psalms. So for example, turn with me to Psalm 15. Psalm 15 is a, a, you might call it a liturgical psalm. It's a psalm that's being used, it would appear in the temple for worship. And David starts off by asking a great question. And the question in verse one, it says, Lord, or Yahweh, um, who may dwell in your sanctuary or who may live in your holy hill? So the question is, God, who can enter into relationship with you? The holy hill is Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Sanctuary is the tabernacle or temple. So what he's asking is who can come to church, essentially in, his life, in our life, who can come to church and enter into true relationship with you and partake in worship? Like what's it take in order to have relationship? And the answer comes back, verse two, he whose walk is what? Blameless and who does what is? righteous. So in other words, if you want to enter into God's presence and have relationship, you have to have surrendered to his leadership in your life. You can't be living a double life. Now, just a quick sidebar of this, because I want you to picture how those would work. Most scholars believe that Psalm 15 would be what we'd call a liturgical psalm. So in other words, uh, a picture like this, that we all come to church, right? We're all here, we're in the temple, and a priest would stand up and he would call out to Yahweh to start the service. And what he would call out is verse what He would say, Yahweh, and he asked God this question, who may dwell in your sanctuary, who may live in your holy hill? And then across the way would be maybe another priest or a group of priests or a congregation or something who would answer back for Yahweh. And they would answer back and say, he whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous. So you you catch this kind of like an antiphonal calling. One priest, God, who can enter into your presence? Here's the answer, his whose life is surrendered. And and so then they begin to unpack, well, what do you mean to live a blameless life? And what you see in the Bible, of course, is there are two major things God desires of us, that we would love God and we would love one another, right? And in Psalm 15, the emphasis is on loving one another. And so he says in verse two, he who's walk is blameless, who does what's righteous. Now he begins to unpack what he means, who speaks the truth from his heart. In other words, we would would be honest in our relationships with one another, who has no slander on his tongue, that we're not using our words to run others down, who does his neighbor no wrong. In uh, Romans 13 in the New Testament, The Apostle Paul says that love is the fulfillment of the law because love does his neighbor no wrong. And and that's the idea here. Uh, He casts no slur on his fellow man. He despises a vile man, someone who's kind of rebellious and, and hurting others but honors those who fears the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts. And so as Christ's followers, we're to be people of commitment. We make a commitment, we keep a commitment, even when the price of keeping the commitment goes up to more than when we made it. And so, and so he's kind of fleshing out, this is what I mean, to, to who can have relationship with God, who can enter to worship, kind of he who's, who's kind of living the surrender life. What's some example? Here's some examples. If you skip to the end of the Psalm, he who does these things will never be shaken. God will be with him. So, So here's the message. Hey, you want to enter into God's presence. You want to have true relationship with God. Then you need to live a surrendered life. Now, obviously, at times if we get off track or if you're far from God, no better place than to be in God's presence to come back and ask for his forgiveness. And then you're back on track and you're under his leadership again. But but there's impossible to have true worship going on if our life is not surrendered to what he's asking of us right now. Okay, so that's number two. Number three. The third principle, what we're gonna do, like I say, we're gonna go through and look at these three principles, then we're gonna come back and see how we're doing. So the third, the third principle is that true worship leads to encounter. In other words, the whole point of worship, coming together to worship, is to experience God, to encounter him together, to come into his presence and experience his presence together. Let me give you an example of this. Turn with me to Psalm 27, also Psalm of David. And, and in verse four, David says this, one thing I ask of the Lord, of Yahweh, this, this is kind of my top priority, it's the one thing I'm asking God for in my life, and this is what I will seek, this is what I'm seeking after, that I may dwell in the house of Yahweh all the days of my life, and to gaze upon the beauty of Yahweh and to seek him in his temple and so he says God this is the one thing I'm asking more than anything else in my life that you would protect me from my enemies so I could continue to seek to come to your temple continue to seek you in worship and be able to experience you to gaze upon your beauty so here's what I want you to catch that David says the whole point of worship is to encounter God and so this is what I call and I'd like you to write these words down This is what I call entering into worship with a paradigm of encounter. A paradigm of encounter. There's a couple couple different ways you can come to church. One is with the paradigm of being a spectator, and the other is a paradigm of encounter. So when I'm a spectator, when I come to church, what, what I'm doing is I'm really coming to watch a performance. And so I'm gonna get my favorite seat, and I'm gonna come when I kind of want to, like I would to a movie. And and then I'm gonna come in and I'm going to participate or not based on whether I'm enjoying what's going on. And, and I'll probably be rating in my mind how it's going. You know, it's it's like, yeah, I like that song, good. I'm glad they're doing that one again. Oh, not that song, I'm sick of that song. Uh, we get to the worship, boy, Mike's not on today. Wow, sheesh, I wish I would have stayed home. It's a six on a scale of one to 10, you know, whatever the thing is. And so we kind of rate this thing out. It's a par- paradigm of being a spectator a, a kind of a consumer mindset right and so but what you see in the psalms is it's not that it's a paradigm of encounter that that when david says when we come to church when we come together we're, we're coming as his people to encounter god experience him together so somebody flesh this out a little bit more i want you to turn with me to psalm 24 it's a great example of this So so Psalm 24 uh, is very similar to Psalm 15 we just looked at. And in verse three, David starts it like this. Who may ascend to the hill of Yahweh? Okay, so, so he's asking the same exact question as Psalm 15. Who can go to the hill of the Lord? It's who can go to Jerusalem? Who can go to the temple mount uh, where the tabernacle and temple will, will one day be? He says, who can do that? Who may stand in his holy place? So in other words, what does it take to be accepted by God and be entered into relationship? That's the question. And so very similar, he answers back. The uh, second priest answers back. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. That, that again, we have to be living a surrender life. Clean hands what we do, pure heart, our motives. We, we have to be ready. And But this time, instead of fleshing it out with, with how we treat other people, he's going to flesh it out with our love for God. And so he says um, that he um, who does not lift up his soul to an idol. In other words, he doesn't worship idols. Uh, like Baal or Ashtoreth or Molech. Or he doesn't swear by what's false. He, he doesn't take an oath in the name of another God is the idea here. And he says that that person will receive blessing from the Lord. So if you come before God into his presence in worship and, and you come with clean hands and a pure heart, you're, you're surrendered, he says that person will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication or protection. And it says, such is the generation of those who seek him. This is what it looks like to be a church that really seeks after God. Who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Okay, so it starts off like Psalm 15. What does it take to have relationship with God, be a true worshiper? The answer comes back, a surrender life. Clean hands, pure heart, flesh it out. But now we're ready to go into worship. I want to paint a picture for you here. So, So let's paint a picture that we are in the temple in Jerusalem. And we're ready to enter into God's presence. And so the priest stands up and he says in verse three, who may ascend to the hill of Yahweh, who may stand in his holy place. Another priest answers back, he who has clean hands and a pure heart and it kind of flushes that out. And so now we're all here together, right? And now we're ready for God to come because we've prepared our hearts. We're ready for God to come in the temple. And so another priest stands up and he says, lift up your heads, O ye gates. So he begins talking to the temple now. He's, he's talking to the temple as if it's a human being, as if it's alive. And he says, he says lift up your heads, O ye gates. Gates to the temple. Uh, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come You see what's going on here? We've prepared our hearts. We're surrendered. God, we're here. And then the priest says, okay, it's time for the game to get started. It's time for kickoff right it's time for this game to go and he says lift up your heads you gates be lifted up you ancient doors why because the king is coming and so he's setting this up now where the king is coming the people have prepared it's a paradigm of encounter and so if you walk through then this psalm now you have these priests antiphonally calling back to one another in verse 8 who is this king of glory he is Yahweh strong and mighty the, the Yahweh mighty in battle and another priest says lift up your gates, uh, your heads, oh ye gates, lift them up, you ancient doors. So he's calling out again that the king of glory may come in. The other priest says, who then is this king of glory? The Lord Yahweh almighty, he is the king of glory. So you see what I'm saying? This paradigm of encounter, that's the people of God coming together, preparing our hearts, and we're, we're getting ready to meet the king. And then once we've prepared our hearts, we surrender. we say, okay, let's open the gates. Let's open the doors. It's time for the king to come. Wake up gates, lift up your head, ancient doors. The king is coming. And so this is the picture of, of worship, it's what I like to call a paradigm of encounter. And so true worship uh, comes with expectation, true worship comes with this encounter uh, mindset. Now number, number four, the fourth principle goes like this, is that true worship grows with expression that if you uh, want to grow in the area of worship in our life, that we, we need to learn to kind of let what's inside out. We need to learn to express what God is doing on the inside, let it out through our bodies uh, on the outside. Now, let me, let me flesh this out a little bit. Like in a room like this, I won't ask for a show of hands, but in a room like this, some of us are more extroverted and some are more introverted, right? And so if you're extroverted, you're more naturally expressive. And, and there's a short distance between what you think and what you say. And so uh, we, we know what you're thinking, right? Because you're telling us. And like a really strong extrovert is kind of has a running monologue going and we're just kind of listening along, right? And, and so uh And so if you're an extrovert, that it's really natural to express yourself throughout all of your life, your passions, your dreams, your visions, what you're feeling, whatever. If you're an introverted, uh, you're more naturally reserved and you're going to be slower to let us know what's going on on the inside. We're probably going to have to get you to know you better before we know your deepest passions and so on. And so I get that. And here's what I want you to catch. That's how God has created us. God has created us some to be more extroverted, some to be more introverted. There's nothing wrong with that. So as we go into this section on this, this principle of worship, I'm not saying that God's trying to change you from who you are, okay? But the point is you need to be, if you wanna grow in worship, you need to be true to who you are and let the inside out. Well, it's inside of you out. So let me give you some examples. There on your, your note sheet, what you see from the Psalms is that uh, worship is, is often a full-bodied experience, so, for example, in uh, in Psalm twenty seven, uh, David says he, he's, he's talking about going to church or the tabernacle. He says, "At the tabernacle, uh, uh, will I sacrifice with what?" Wow! I'm going to shout with shouts of joy. I'm just, just so excited. I'm uh, whoa, good to be here. Shouts of joy. Yeah, uh, let's uh, let's try it again. Um, at his tabernacle, will I sacrifice with what? <laughs> there, there you go. Welcome to the service. Welcome to the service. Awesome. You see you. Even with a good, a good night's sleep, extra sleep. But um, yeah. So so, here's, so then he says, I will sing and make music to to the Lord, and so. Uh, and, and so, you know, David, a man's man, right? He, he's, he's a warrior. Uh, he, he's a passionate guy. We'll be talking about that in a couple of weeks. Uh, David is just a great model for me of what it means to be a man, to, to, to be uh, kind of God's man. And so he, he's a warrior guy, but he's, he's coming to, to, to worship, right? And he's into this. I mean, he, he's, uh, he's got his sacrifice. He's ready to go. Uh, he, he's going to sing. He's going to make music. And he's going to shout. It's a picture of high energy worship, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's just, there's energy going on here. And so, so th- there's one example. Look at the next one, Psalm 63. Dave, this is David, and he says, I will praise you as long as I live. It's a lifestyle. And in your name, I will what? <laughs> okay, I will lift up my hands. Now, now let's just do So no one feels weird to do it all together. Can we just do this for a second? Just lift up your hands, all right? Okay, ready to go, okay. In the name of the Father and the Son. No, just kidding. Uh <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time that ever happened. But uh, no, it, yeah, so in the Bible, you often see this, that, that worship uh, uh, is done with lifting up a hands, and, and of course, it's just, it's just a, it's a posture uh, of, of saying that, God, you are amazing. You've captured my affections. I, I want to give all that I am, all I have to you. It, it's, it's, it's a posture. Maybe somebody's receiving from him what he has, but it's very common. In fact, in the New Testament, uh, the apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, he says, I want all men ever, Everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. So if you're a man right now, if you're not a man, don't, don't have to do this, but if you're a man, uh, could you lift up your hands with me? So the pause is, I want all men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. That's good, guys. Some of you are like, I'm not sure why. Well, I, I can't help you. Um <laughs> Okay, so, so the point is, is that worship in Psalms is, is full-bodied worship. And it's so important for us to understand this because this is the way God has wired us. So I want you to catch this. As human beings, we are not disembodied spirits. We are embodied spirits. And what that means is there is a connection between what happens in our spirits and our bodies. They, they influence one another. Uh, uh, studies have been shown like this, like if a person is depressed and, and they're down and they sit across from someone who's smiling, it's hard for them not to smile. That, that where bodies impact us and our own body impacts us and what we're feeling, what we, what we express, you know, there's a connection there. Like, like, ima- like imagine that this is why, for example, when you go to a great football game, right? A great football game or let's say a great concert, This is why you want to express yourself. Right? This is why when, when there's a great play, you rise to your feet, you clap, you high-five, you scream and yell. It's why in the concerts in the old days, you pull out your lighters and you light them. It's why if you go now, you pull out your iPhones, you know, uh, but but why are we doing that? Like, why are we, if you go to a great concert, why are we out there swaying with the music or, you know, clapping or screaming or, or the, why? Because there's something within us that says, this is awesome and I want want to participate. And, and my, it's not enough just to sit there and go, well, do you have a golf clap? <laughs> right? Like, like, can you imagine this? Can you imagine next time you go to your favorite sporting event, like, like uh, I was going to say NBA, but that probably won't happen ever again. Uh, let, but let, let's say that like a football, you go to a great football game, right? And, and so you're there. And as you go in, they give you a brochure and say, for one day only, uh, we're, we're doing whatever. And so there will be no clapping today. There will be, you cannot, you can watch the game. You can give a golf, a golf thing, you know, like, hey, Frank, he's approaching the 18th. You know, you can do, you can talk to your neighbor like that. But you cannot high five, you cannot yell, you cannot scream. Can you imagine like how boring a game that would be? Like you would be, you would like the game, but it would feel so inhibiting, right? Because there's something within you that responds to excellence, Can you imagine going to a concert and it's like, you're not allowed to sing along. You're not allowed to stand. You're not allowed to sway. There's no iPhones going. You can't do anything. You just have to listen. Like, can you imagine that? You know, even if it's like a symphony where you're not standing up and swaying, but like at a symphony, like, okay, at the end of the music, you cannot clap. There's no standing ovations. There's no clapping. You just, I mean, it would drain it, wouldn't it? We'll catch this, God has wired us as human beings that we respond to excellence in any field. And so it doesn't really matter. Like if you see a business that's excellent, you want to tell your friends if you have a great experience. If you go to a concert that's incredible, you want to share that, you want to tell people that. I got here this morning one week uh, one day I was here very early it was before sun rose and as the sun was coming out I looked out of my upstairs office and over the valley that the the sun was just starting to come over the over the the mountain and I'm like I've got to tell somebody and there's no one awake and so I'm going to go out there and I take a picture and I tweet it up and it goes to my Facebook and some of you begin to say why because you just want to tell somebody Right, when, when you see something amazing, you and that's because God has hardwired us to respond to excellence. And guess what the source of all excellence in the universe is, in any field. It's God himself. He's the source, as James says, of every good and perfect gift. And that's why when you see a sunset, when you see an amazing catch, you hear a concert, you see a business that's thriving, there's something within you that wants to stand on your feet and clap. Well, the same is true in worship. And that when we experience God in a, in a life-changing way, there's something within us that says, I need to respond to that. There's something within us that says, I, I need to let that out. And so here's the point, that as you do, worship intensifies. That in the same way that it's very different watching your favorite team on your flat screen at home by yourself with a bag of popcorn and being in a stadium with 50,000 people, it's a totally different experience. In the same way that, that when you're with the people of God and everyone is entering into expressing their worship, however it comes natural to them, there's something contagious about that and worship grows, it increases. So here's what I want you to catch is that worship intensifies when it's expressed, that as we express it, something it takes it to another level. Just like at a football game, a clapping or high five, takes experience to a different level. Now, okay, so those are the four principles. All right, so that worship flows out of our personal experience of God. That worship demands requires our surrender. That worship. Uh, requires uh, that we enter into an encounter mindset and then finally that worship uh, intensifies grows when we express it. Now the question I have the next section then is to get real practical is true worship are you growing? And so Jesus said that he's looking for people who are true worshipers. And the question is, do you want to be one of those people? Do you want to be one of those people that worship God in spirit and truth, who really come to know him, experience him, be changed by him, and then be transformed to lead a life of worship? Do you want to be? And so here are four questions to help do some evaluation. Number one, the first question would be, are you experiencing God in your life? Because here's what I know. The more that we experience God, the more we lead a life of worship, that there's a d- direct connection. Like in other words, if you wanna grow as a worshiper, the solution is not say, well, I'm gonna go to church and really get into it, okay? That's not it. No, you, if you wanna grow in worship, you don't go get into worship, you get into God. And worship is the overflow of getting into God. And so when you experience God as your rock and your salvation and your uh, refuge and your shield and your protector and your shepherd, as you experience that, the natural overflow is worship. Like if you're not growing and changing and, and being taught by him during the week, well, when you come in, you're not going to be able to relate to the words on the pa- on the, uh, that we're singing because it's not your experience. But if you are growing, changing, being taught, led, protected, rescued, if that's happening in your life, then when you come in, you identify with those words. Those words are your story, and now you enter in. It's like, it's like love songs, you know, like, like a love song, like uh, on the radio, it's, it's great. You might like the song. It might be a good song. You might like hearing the song, but, but wait till you fall in love and hear that song. I mean, it's just a totally different experience because that song is not just a song now that you. Like or don't dislike that song is an expression of your life and you can enter into it. And it's the same in our relationship with God. For for David, these are love songs, right? I love you, O Lord, my strength. I've experienced you, you've changed my life, and it's out of that I I worship. And so for you, the question is: is that your are you growing? Are you are you changing? Are are you experiencing him? Is he becoming your rock? Second question. The second question is: are, are you learning to surrender? And so one of the things we learned today is there is no worship without surrender. Like it's really impossible to call, call uh, Jesus Lord and King if we're not living that way, if we're running our own life. And here's the thing, that often we think that, that by coming to church, just like we're not really living for God, we're not really following God. There's an area of our life we're being clearly disobedient, we know it, he's convicting us, but we're not, we're not listening, that often we think like this, well, I know I'm not living for Jesus, but at least I'll go to church and help make up for it. Right? Like, don't we, have, like as, as human beings, this is how we think naturally. It's like, okay, well, I'm gonna go and, and I'm gonna do this religious stuff I'm gonna say the prayers, I'm gonna sing the song, I'm gonna burn the incense, I'm gonna do the beat, whatever your religious stuff is, uh, give some money, serve, whatever, and that this will somehow balance the scales. But you know what the Bible says is exactly the opposite. That when we're not walking with God and we come to worship Him, it doesn't make things better, it makes things worse. It makes things worse. I mean, it's like a wife finds out that her husband's having an affair and he brings her roses and says, hey, I'm really sorry about the affair. I know I shouldn't be doing it, but I'm not really ready to give it up. But I just want you to know how much I love you. So I brought you some roses. And she pulls out the gun, right? Like, here's what I think of your roses. Thank you very much, right? Because... When your words in life don't match, your words become not, they don't make it better, they become insulting, you see? And so when we come in here on a weekend service, Lord, you are my my God, you are the one I love, I I wanna pursue you, whatever, And, and we're not pursuing, we're not living, it doesn't make it better, it makes it worse. And that's why in that Isaiah 1 passage, God says, stop bringing your meaningless offerings, stop trampling my courts, I would rather you didn't come. It would be better if you didn't come to church than to come with rebellion in your heart and not be surrendered to my leadership. Now, let me say this. If you come to church with rebellion in your heart and you surrender to his leadership here, then that's what church's all about. That's a good thing. But I'm talking about kind of that double hand, that kind of high-handed sin, double life sort of stuff. And so the question is for your life, are you growing in surrender? Because I can guarantee you this. As you surrender more deeply, you will experience him more powerfully and that will lead to greater worship, okay? Now, number three, the third question is are you entering with expectation? So we learned today that true worship grows when we come with a paradigm of encounter. We, we enter his, the worship service with an attitude of expectation. So the question I would have for you is It like as you come to church, as you came in today, Did you have a paradigm of encounter? I'm going to meet with God. I'm coming into his presence. I'm seeking him. I'm gonna ask God to speak, to lead, to reveal. I wanna experience him and be changed by him and and then respond in worship. Did you come to meet with God or did you come today more as a a spectator? You know, more as someone who kind of watches the show. Because the more we move towards encounter, the greater the worship will be. Um, I, I think of a song, like one of my favorite worship songs that we do sometimes, is a song by Brooke Frazier called You'll Come. And there in your note sheet, I put the first verse and the bridge. And, and so look, she, she kind of flashes this is what it looks like. She, and she's really reflecting uh, uh, kind of psalms, like what we saw today. Uh, she says, I have decided and I have resolved to wait upon you, Lord. So she says, I'm coming into your presence and I've made the decision. I've decided, I've resolved that I'm going to wait upon you. I want to meet with you. And I know I can't make that happen. I can't make you show up. But but I want to meet and I want to wait upon you in the hope that you will come. And so then she says, my rock and my redeemer, my shield and my reward. So catch this. Uh, Brooke has a personal relationship with God. That, that she, she's entered into a relationship with him that has changed her life. And just like with David, he's not just the God of her fathers or the God of her church, he's become her God. And so even the language is straight out of Psalms. My rock, my redeemer, shield and reward, I'll wait upon you, Lord. And then she talks about expectation and she says, as surely as the sun will rise, you'll come to us. And as certain as the dawn appears, you'll come. And so she's coming in your presence to wait. And she's confident that as she comes, with her heart of surrender, that he will be he will come. And then so she begins to pray and she says, Let your glory fall. This is like ancient Israel, let the king of glory come in. Gates, wake up, doors, stand up straight. Let the king come in. And so that's what she's saying. Let your glory fall as you respond to us. We've come and surrender. Now you're responding to us. And then she uses a metaphor out of the New Testament. Remember Jesus said that inside everyone is, is a great thirst that only his spirit can satisfy. He says it's like living water. And so she uses that, that metaphor of water. And she says spirit, Holy Spirit. She's praying to the spirit. Spirit, would you rain? Would you flood into our thirsty hearts again? You'll come, you'll come. And then she gets to the bridge and it really becomes another prayer. This is what she wants God to do when he comes. She says, God, chains be broken. Like in this place that spiritual chains would be broken, a new freedom would come into life, that lives would be healed, that eyes will be opened and Christ is revealed. And so this is what I'm talking about, a paradigm of encounters. The question I have for you is when you come to church, when you came to church today, when you come week after week, are you coming with a paradigm of encounter or are you coming with a paradigm of spectator? Uh, and, and let me just do a quick sidebar on this. And, and, and on this, I just want to be real clear. I'm not picking on anyone right now, right? No personal acts to grind. I just want to do a teaching here. You know, from time to time, I will talk to the church and I'll encourage us to come on time. And, and the reason I do that, I want to be clear it's not because I'm neurotic, okay? although I am. But um, <laughs> so it's because of this paradigm of encounter. You see? Because if you have a paradigm of a spectator, it's really fine to come to church 10, 15 minutes late. That's really fine because it's kind of like going to a movie, right? You bought the ticket to the movie. You can go when you want. If you want to miss the first 10 minutes and figure you can figure it out, that, that's fine. It's up to you. Kind of irritating the people would crawl over maybe, but, but it's, it's really fine. You know, it's, it's kind of a, it's a spectator uh, consumer mentality and in a movie theater that works fine. But, but in church, it's not what's happening. In church, what's happening is is Psalm 24 is what's happening, that we are gathered together as the people of God under the leadership of Jesus, under the authority of his spirit and the authority of his word. And we gather together and we we say, God, we have come in your name. And will you now come? What gates will you wake up? Well, doors, will you, will you raise up your heads? We are, we are ready here and we are ready for the coming of the king. And so once you understand this, you realize how it doesn't make sense to come late. It'd be like going to a wedding late. Coming in 15 minutes, the bride is already down the aisle. You know, that it's, like, it's like you've missed it. You've missed the bride right you've you've missed the high point of the wedding where you stand up and you turn around and here she comes and you want to be there for that moment because it's about that moment and it's about what's going to happen and so it's so Once you understand that, you understand that coming to church is not like going to a movie, that coming to church is we're coming to meet the king. And so you wanna be here so that when the king comes, we are here as his people to welcome him and to say, come, we are ready for you. And so imagine like in ancient Israel, how dull it would be if like Psalm 24, the priest stands up and he says, who will ascend into the hill of the Lord and who will stand in his holy place? And the other priest calls back, He has clean hands and a pure heart. And so they said, all right, we're ready to go. It's go time. Rise up, you ancient gates, and lift up your heads, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And you look around and no one's there. A third of the people are there. It's like something is desperately wrong. The king is coming and his kingdom is not there. You see, the people that he's ruling and leading are not there. And so um, I, I think, you know, like imagine that happening in ancient Israel. It's just a bad day. You know, the people couldn't find parking spots for their chariots. You know, the, the pita bread didn't rise. The, uh, the, you know, the sandals couldn't find their sandals. But whatever, the people aren't there. And so the king has come, but the people aren't there. You see? And so, so that's what happens here. So again, this is not meant at all as a word of rebuke. And I wasn't even paying attention to who came in late today. So if it looks like I'm looking at you, I'm really not. But, um, <laughs> but what, I, what, 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 I'm, what I'm trying to paint here is a whole new understanding of what happens here. And, and see, it really doesn't take that much difference. It's probably, probably for most of us, it's just like getting up or leaving the house 15 minutes early, you know. But what, what it really requires, it's not so much the time, it's a mindset. What it requires is a new paradigm of what happens Because the reality is, is when we start a worship service and you're not here, it's like the king has come and you missed it. And it's not just that you missed it or he missed you. It's not just that, but that because of the nature of worship that's so corporate and so contagious, that we've all missed you. We've all missed you. It'd be like a game where no one's there. It's just it's not the same, you see, and so, so the question is um, that are you growing in this understanding? Are you are you coming with an expectation? And then number four, the fourth question is: Are you growing in freedom? Uh, we've, we've seen today that there's a connection between our bodies and our spirits and that if we want to grow in worship, that we need to learn to let what's inside of us out. Now, again, just to be clear, I'm not saying that we all should worship the same way because we're wired differently, right? I'm not asking you to be something you're not. What I'm asking is that you'd be the person you are. You see, that, that, that what, what's happened is that often we, we just not learn this, and so we, we come with certain expectations of what we should do or shouldn't do, and it's really, it's not about what's happening in our heart. We just never learn this, this principle of letting the inside out. Uh, I, let me tell you my own story. Like, in this, in this whole area of worship, I grew up in a church where uh, you didn't raise hands. Like, no hands were raised. If, if your hands were raised, it meant you had a question, which was very inappropriate, you know? So, um, uh, so, so you don't raise hands. And so when, when I started moving into a different church setting where, where some people would raise hands, uh, I was really very awkward with this because, because there was some, God was moving in my heart, right? And so something was happening inside of me and, and that my body wanted to respond. But my whole life, I've been telling my body, no, do not respond. This is not appropriate. Hold that for football games. Hold that for concert. But this is not an appropriate time. And that's, that's what I've been taught. That's what my culture, my church culture had taught me. And so I'm in there and I'm seeing some people raising hands and God's working in my heart. And, and, and I, I, lo- I love, His like Psalm, uh, Psalm 18. I love you, oh Lord, my strength. And then my heart is growing in passion for him. And yet I've never been in an environment like this. And so my My body wants to respond, right? It's the true me. My body wants to respond. I'm not trying to impress anyone. My body wants to respond, but I'm kind of telling my body to sit down and shut up, right? And so so what's going on is that over time as this passion begins to grow. I, I want to begin releasing this, but can I tell you, it was the most awkward thing in my life. It went like this. Worship progressed like this. This was my first baby step. Okay, we're singing, right? We're worshiping. This is my first step. <laughs> I'm telling you, it felt like the whole world was watching. It felt like every eye, like CNN, you know, and it's like, look, you know, Mike really starting to worship, he's going crazy, he's getting a little weird. Uh, you know, he's starting to lose it. You know, he's always been so rational, he's always been so dependable. Look at him, he's going over the edge. And uh, and, and so then it goes through this progression, you know, it's like, it's like this, and th- then you move to the two-hand lift, right? right and, and then it goes back. And then, and then the first time, you know, you raise your hand, it's kind of like this. Right? And then it's, you know. Right? I mean, it felt so awkward. But here was the thing. I wasn't being true to myself, did you catch this? There's two mistakes we can make in this area in worship. One mistake is that we try to get our body involved to impress others. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, a church or whatever, it's almost like a mark of spirituality, how you respond. And so there's almost like pressure for you to do certain things to show how spiritual you are. And that's horrible. Like you never want to do that. You never want to worship in order to impress someone else. Like worship is between us and God. So we never want to do that. You never want to be untrue to yourself and what God's doing and you just impress it. Never, okay, that's a mistake. But honestly, I don't think that's the biggest mistake here at Rocky Peak. I don't think that's what, what happens here a lot. Here's the more, the more common mistake here is that you never want to be untrue to God because of what you think other people will think of you, right? And this is, I think, the biggest thing for here that often we don't want to express in worship because we're afraid that w- they'll afraid we think we're trying to be spiritual or we think that we'll feel uncomfortable or you're having the same phenomenon that I had. You know, it's, I, I, I kind of went through, just so awkward. <laughs> by, by the way, just a quick sidebar on this. This is one of the reasons why we often turn the lights down so low here. Uh, sometimes people say, why do you turn the lights so low? It's because we're trying to create an environment that's more conducive so you're, you're less distracted by those around you and there you have more freedom to, to worship. And, and sometimes people say, yeah, but I come in late. I can't see where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you know what I think about that. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> so here's the question is, are you growing in freedom? Are you letting the inside out? What, what, it, it, are you being true to what God is doing in your life? Because here's what I can tell you. If God, if the Holy Spirit's moving you to take some, to get your body involved, I can promise you that as you do, worship will go to another level. Because this is the way we're wired as human beings. That, it, that our experience intensifies as we act on it physically. It, it does. And so, so four questions, four, four simple questions. Are you growing in your experience of God? Are you learning to surrender to his leadership in your life? Are you coming with a paradigm of expectation? And then finally, are you learning to express what he's truly doing? And as we wrap up this service, uh, we felt like it would be so appropriate just to spend a little extra time in worship today, kind of going before the Lord. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go into a time of worship right now, just a couple songs. We're not going to be taking our offering during this time, this is a time for you to focus on the Lord and to kind of drink in what you've been learning and, and kind of uh, experience Him firsthand. And then I'll come up after that. Pray us out of that. Uh, uh, we'll introduce a new worship song, take our offering, uh, and continue that spirit of worship. So would you stand with me as we uh, we pray and go into worship? Let's pray together. God, we're so thankful for what you're doing in our church and the way you're waking us up and calling us on and today, God, we talked about such an important topic of worship, giving back to you the honor, the praise, uh, the the love, the affection that's due your name because of what you've done. And so, God, we pray now that as we come into your presence and we come into this time of worship, we pray that you really would give us a new freedom and that we would allow us on the inside to come out as we worship you, as we experience your presence, as we surrender to your leadership, and as we come with a paradigm of encounter. We pray this in your name, amen. For the glory of your name, isn't that what it's all about? That we would be a people that would live for his name and his fame, and ultimately that's worship is, is all about. It's giving him back the glory that he deserves and calling attention to him that we would be a worshiping community that he would so have captured our hearts that those around us would wonder who is this God who has so captured your hearts and that they would come and see, they would wanna know this God who can transform their lives as he's transforming ours. And so uh, may the Lord be with you as you live a life of worship this week. I hope that you can um, be with us next week. Uh, we have a great service planned um, next week. We do baptisms. Uh, we already have thirty-five people uh, that are signed up to be baptized uh, next week, and uh, so we're excited about that. I'll be doing kind of a, a full service message, uh, maybe a little bit short, but basically the same. Uh, but it's on Psalms. It's on the Messianic Psalms in the Old Testament. Uh, there was this promise given that one day a great hero would come who would deliver us. And of course, that turned out to be Jesus. And there are all these hints and foreshadowings and predictions in the Old Testament where God was kind of paving the way about this one who would come, his life, his death, his resurrection. And so next week, we're going to be talking about those, uh, those, those prophecies in, in uh, the book of uh, Psalms. Uh, and, and then, of course, then we'll be celebrating the fulfillment of those Prophecies by baptizing people who have come to be saved by the hero, the great hero. And so I uh, hope you can be with us. It'll be a tremendous uh, service. But until then, uh, may the Lord be with you. May he be your rock and may he be your redeemer. May he be your shield and your sword. May he be the one that goes before you and the one that comes behind you. May the one, he be the one who rules over your life and is over all that you do. And may you be a person who's so captured by the love of God for you and so captured by this one who's the source of all this good and right and true that your life will be lived, a life of surrender, a life of praise, a life of expectation, and a life of living out loud for this God who's rescued us. God bless you. I love you. See you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.